I'd like to begin by reading from Romans chapter 1 and the first uh, several verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Probably the greatest theme that Paul has next to the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the life of the Christian. What kind of people are we to be as children of God, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who have been transformed by the grace of God? Paul deals with three specific areas of relationship. First of all, our relationship with Christ, and then our relationship with other believers, and then our relationship with the world at large. What is our relationship with Christ as Paul sees it? Well, we're called to belong to him. That's what the scripture says in chapter 1 as we read it and verses 5 and 6. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. We're called. It's not just that we decide of our own free will and so we go ahead and make ourselves Christians or believe in Christ, and, but it's optional. There is a distinct and definite call applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit that brings us into a relationship with him because he knows exactly what he wants to do with each one of us. He knows what he wants to change in us. He knows that he wants you and me to belong. That's one thing that a lot of people find hard in this day and age. A sense of belonging. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? To whom do I belong? My dear friend, if you're a child of God, you know who you belong to. You belong to a family that embraces every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people on this planet in all ages. Because that's who the call went out to. Not everyone responded. Not everyone accepted the call and answered, but we're all called 
to belong to God. In chapter 8 and verse 30, Paul speaks about this yet again. Chapter 8 and verse 30. He says, Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. He made us righteous because we're called. And those he justified, he also glorified. Paul sees what the end result is going to be. And he says, wow. And it all comes because we answered that call and said yes to the Lord Jesus. We're called to become children of God, part of the family of God. Look at chapter 6 of Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Oh, my dear friends, we're called not to live in the old way, but to become something different, to become someone different, to become like Christ, living out our Christian faith in every day that we are upon earth. We're not called upon to do it occasionally or simply to wear a badge. We are called upon to live a life. In chapter 12, beginning of the first verse, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I remember as a young man, spending hours in prayer, seeking the will of God. What is God's will? I remember as a student in college, discussing with other students, how do we know God's will? How can we find out God's will? Is it written out somewhere? Well, we know it's written in the Bible, but do you have to read the whole of the Bible in order to find out what God's will is for your life in any given situation? Oh, my dear friends, we're called to serve. We're called, that's God's will. And in our service, we're called to be the people that he wants us to be. Look at chapter 14 and verses 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. 
That means that if we seek to please God in all that we do and seek his will, not in the things that we eat and drink, that's not the important thing. The most important thing is a life of righteousness, to live at peace with one another and especially with God, and to rejoice in the Holy Spirit. You know, Christians have a reputation of being not exactly joyful. In fact, some Christians have behaved so much like, I don't know, like sour cherries, that when you get near them, you get a a taste in your mouth and you think, ay, 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 do Christians have to be like that? Do Christians have to talk like that, behave like that? Oh, my dear friends, we are called to joy in the Holy Spirit. Rejoice. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Rejoice again, Paul writes to the Philippians. And again I say, rejoice. (laughs) He didn't call us to belong to Christ so that we could be miserable. He called us to belong to Christ so that we could rejoice in the Holy Spirit and in everything that God desires of us. Because you see, we're commissioned. We're commissioned to serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look on to the next chapter in chapter 15 and verses starting at verse 17. Chapter 15 and verse 17. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done by the power of of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. The full proclamation of the gospel of Christ does not exclude signs and wonders, miracles. They're done through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of them is to attract people's attention to the gospel, leading them to obey God by what Paul has said and done. It wasn't for building his reputation up so that everyone would say, wow, Paul, the healer, Paul, the miracle worker, Paul, the deliverer. No, it's not through us, or it's not we who are doing it. It is through us that Christ is doing it. He works through every one of us, and he can work through any one of us. It's not limited to certain ones. Yes, there may be some who are used in a particular way more than in another way, but don't think that because God doesn't usually heal the sick through you, that therefore you need to take a course Uh, from the happy hunters on how to heal the sick 
or that you need to uh, defer that person to someone else who is more accustomed to being used in that area. No. God uses you as the occasion demands. And sometimes he brings across our pathway unexpected occasions. Occasions that we and opportunities that we hadn't anticipated. And we think, Lord, I've never done this before. God says there's a first time for everything. Just do what I say and you'll be amazed to see what I will do. Because it's not you doing it. It's the Lord doing it through you. You're simply a vessel, a channel through which he seeks to flow. And if you open your heart and your life up, God will flow through you and will touch so many. And you will be amazed at what God can do. I remember the first time someone was healed when I prayed for them. Wow. I was so astonished. I mean, if later they'd got better, that would have been one thing. But to actually see a crooked limb straightened or to see blind eyes opened or to see, well, to hear, Someone deaf, finally, having their hearing restored. Wow! I I was more astonished than they were. (laughs) Because I hadn't expected that. Who was I? I was just a young fellow. But God. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your training doesn't matter your position in the church. What matters is, are you available for God to use you? Because you are commissioned to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that power will flow through you, and you will see what God will do. Look back at that first chapter for a moment because we can see what the purpose of our salvation really is. Why did God make us children of God? Paul says in verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written. The righteous will live by faith. The purpose of our salvation is simply to make us children of God, available for God to use when and where and how he desires. He's faithful and he will use you. 
And you will be amazed at what God will do because that's your commission as a child of God. You don't have to be someone special to be commissioned. I know, I, I was in the military, I was in the Air Force, and we had commissioned officers. And those of us who were non-commissioned or just in the ranks, oh, how we looked up to those commissioned officers. The government had invested in them. They held a position that we just wished we could hold. <laughs> and those of you who are in the military know exactly what I'm talking about. My dear friends, we are all commissioned officers in the army of God. We all have a divine commission, a divine authority resting upon us. Then what is our relationship with other believers? Do we have authority over them? No, we're part of a body. Look at chapter 12 and starting at verse 3. Look at chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given us. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in, the, in Christ we who are many form one body. And notice this, each member belongs to all the others. You've got an itch in your cheek. What do you do? Rub your cheek on something hard or simply reach up and with your fingers scratch it or with your palm rub it. What's my hand got to do with my cheek? Well, it's part of the same body. That's what it's for. Every part of your body serves other parts of your body. We serve one another. Friend, we are the body of Christ. And it's not you in your small corner and I in mine. It's not you look after yourself and I look after me. It's we look after each other because we're part of the body of Christ and we show the same care for each other that we show for ourselves. If you're walking along the street and suddenly a mosquito comes around and bzzz, makes an attack on you, what do you do? Say, ah, I'm not going to use my hand. It isn't my hand that's being attacked. I'm not going to use my foot to get out of the way. It's not my foot that's being attacked. No, I'm just going to let it do whatever it wants, wherever it wants. Oh, no, we don't. We swat it. And we try and avoid it. Why? What's it got to do with my legs? What's it got to do with my hands and my arms? 
were part of the same body. My friend, if you see a fellow believer facing problems, don't say, nothing to do with me. I'm okay. What can I do? How can I help? How can I swat the mosquito? How can I scratch the itch? How can I help? How can I be to the body of Christ what any member of the body should be? We are a body and we are called upon to serve the Lord in that body. We have different gifts, verse 6, according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. For it is contributing to the needs of others. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Do what God gives you the opportunity of doing and you will be amazed how much it will achieve and how many times God will bring somebody into your life to do for you what you need on a specific occasion. We're a body, the body of Christ. We're also brothers. Look at verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. These are all the kinds of things that brothers do. And sisters, but Paul lumps them both together. Dear friends, we care for one another because we're part of the same family. We have a relationship with the body of Christ. We have a relationship with fellow believers as brothers. We're also fellow servants, chapter 14, and beginning at the first verse. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith in, is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another person, someone else's servant. To his own master, he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Yes, my dear friends, we are fellow servants. We may be serving in the same household, the household of God. When I was a child, I lived in a village where the village was divided into two parts. There were the big houses and everybody else. And if you wanted to achieve anything in your life, you went to work at one of the big houses, whether it was in the house or in the fields, belonging to the house or whatever. But 
those were the two ranks that were there. And you helped fellow servants who were working in the big house if they were carrying a load of crockery along the hallway and started to lose their balance, you didn't just stand back and say, ha, ah, so much for you, you're going to lose your job. No, you went and you caught what you could and helped as much as you could and you helped pick up the pieces if some got broken because that's what fellow servants do. They don't ignore one another. They work together and we are working together. But notice in chapter 15, Paul uses another uh, uh, illustration. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We are called upon to sustain one another. For even Christ did not please himself, as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We are called to help sustain our brothers and sisters in their walk with the Lord, no matter how weak they may be, no matter how many times they may stumble, we are there to help pick them up and to encourage them on the way. Not to condemn them, not to say, huh, what kind of Christian do you think you are behaving like that? No. Our call is to sustain one another, to lift one another up. If we see a Christian being tempted, we come alongside them and seek to help them and encourage them and direct them away from whatever is tempting them. And, of course, as sustainers, that leads us on to uh, Paul's next point, which is in verse 14 of the same uh, chapter. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Oh, my dear friends, we need to have an open heart to learn from each other and an open mouth to help one another, to inst instruct one another, to guide one another. Now, to instruct doesn't mean that we lecture everybody all the time. Oh, there may be odd occasions when that's the tone, but no. We instruct. Let me show you how to do this. Let me help you do it. Let's do it together until you can do it on your own. We help one another because that's what we're called upon to do. Let's go further down that chapter, verse 26 through 28. Verse 26 through 28. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. 
they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this fruit, I'll go to Spain and visit you on the way. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem to take a gift from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, the Greeks were obviously much wealthier than those who were living in Israel. Oh, they had a lot more. And they were very intelligent, very wise. And so they were glad as Christians to contribute to the needs of the poor in Jerusalem. Just because you're wealthy, don't look down on the poor. One day you could end up in that same position. And maybe one day you were in that position and God blessed you and prospered you and transformed you and lifted you up and gave you opportunities. My dear friends, to give to one another according to our needs and from our abundance is not something strange or odd, but exactly what God wants for us. Because he, out of his generosity, supplies your needs and mine. We wouldn't have what we've got if God hadn't supplied it. Oh, yes, you may have worked hard, but you didn't make anything, construct it out of nothing. God constructed everything there is out of nothing. So whatever there is, even that new Mercedes that you got, you take it back and the elements of it, if you're a scientist, you would analyze them and you would find out that the elements were made out of nothing. And God made it. So those elements would come together and form the metal and form, and the metal would eventually be used by intelligent people, guided by God, to form a, a vehicle. Yes. But it all starts with nothing. That's what there is, any scientist will tell you. That everything that is, is made out of nothing. And everything, and when you, if you could dissolve the outer shell, you would find there'd be nothing left. Yes. Now look on at verse 30 through 32. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. Pray for one another. We're called as men in our relationship with fellow believers to be prayers. That's not just a matter of reciting prayers, 
but pray through for each other. If you can do nothing else, you can pray for each other. And sometimes that's the greatest thing you can do because you're opening the way where two or three agree together in prayer. God hears, God answers, and God will do amazing things. My dear friends, there may be a lot of things that you can't do, but there's nothing that God can't do. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God who can transform everything. He made the whole world out of nothing so he can make anything out of something. He can make some of the most amazing things come about. Yes, I'm sure we've all got stories about how something totally unexpected and unusual came about when we prayed. And we say, Lord, I hadn't expected that. Why would you do that? Because we prayed. And we opened our lives and our situation to him and said, Lord, you do it. Have your way. Work in us. Work through us. God has a way of surprising us. In fact, he loves to surprise us. My wife and I could recount many, many instances where God has surprised us by what he has done. Not things that we expected. And sometimes when we pray, he answers in unexpected ways. And we thought, God, I never expected you to answer like that. I thought it would be something different. No, God says, I do what I want in my way and I like to surprise you. Many of those people who came to Jesus expected to be somewhat better and they were totally healed. Some just touched the hem of his garment. And wow, hemorrhages dried up. They were restored. They were healed. That's what God does when we pray. Let's pray one for another. Let's intercede because God is able to do all things and he does do all things well. Well, what's our relationship with the world at large? We know what our relationship is with Christ. We know what our relationship is with our fellow believers. But what about the world at large? Hmm. Let's look at chapter 12 and verse 9. Chapter 12 and verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. It's all part of our service for God. 
when we seek to do what he wants us to do. But it involves us in being separate from evil. Love must be sincere. We're not putting on an act. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Oh yes, my dear friends, if we don't separate ourselves from evil, we're just like one of those who is outside of the family and the kingdom of God. We need to live holy lives. This is what God wants. That's why he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And don't be conceited. I'm better than you. Oh, no. No, you're not. You'd be right there, there where he is or she is if it wasn't for the grace of God and if it wasn't for God's intervention in your life. No. Our relationship with the people around is because of the grace of God. So don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Leave all that up to God. He's the one who will decide what the end result of that person is going to be. But our decision is to be careful to do what is right. To do what God wants us to do. He also wants us to submit to those in authority. Chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. Behind every authority in this world, there's God. And some people who have got into positions of authority have thought themselves untouchable, unapproachable, unviolable. They can live and they can do what they want and nobody can do a thing about it. Next week we'll be in Romania. Not so many years ago, they had a president there who not only had absolute authority in some areas, he had absolute authority in every area and he decided whatever was going to happen, whatever the courts decided, he would look over their decisions and decide, mm, no, I don't agree with that. We're not having that. And he would change things because that was his way. But there came a day when he and his wife were overthrown from their position of power 
And then they became just like those that they had persecuted down through the years. And new authorities came into position. Divine submission. Yes, God decides who's top dog and who's going to rule and run things and God will make it plain. So you don't have to revolt or worry about what's happening. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So we're not called upon to be rebels. We're called upon to pray through and be obedient to God. Because if you do what's right, you will be commended. He's God's servant to do you good. If you do what's wrong, be afraid. For he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant. He may not know it. He may not recognize it. He may not even acknowledge it. But God stands behind. And God knows exactly why and where and what should happen. You see, the primary focus for our lives is summed up with one little four-letter word, love. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I've mentioned before that the commandments were written on two tablets. One tablet dealt with how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the other tablet dealt with love your neighbor as yourself. All the different examples that were given. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. All come under that one category, loving your neighbor as yourself. And that should be our relationship to an, a world that is our neighbor. Because wherever we live, no matter how isolated our home may be and how far... Uh, you may feel yourself from any neighbors. Every person you t rub shoulders with, every person you come in contact with, every person that you have any kind of relationship with whatsoever is your neighbor, and you are called to love that person. What about those who are objectionable, nasty, cruel, curses? What about all these kind of people? You mean I've got to show love 
to them? Yes. How else are they going to know the love of God except they see it in you and you and you and you and you and you and me? Oh, yes. I have got to love my neighbor because that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has called me to do. When Paul talks about the Christian life, he sums it all up in this one word, love. Loving God, yes, we are in a relationship with Christ. That's what we're called to be. We're called to belong to him. We're called to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to serve as Christ served. Who would have imagined the very Son of God, the creator of all things? Because that's what John's Gospel begins by saying. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him. And without him was nothing made that was made. God chose to make everything through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, and yet he came and dwelt amongst his creation as a servant. The power of the Holy Spirit isn't given so that we can be prestigious or gain a reputation, but so that we can serve effectively. And that's the very purpose of our salvation, to transform us into Christ-likeness in everything we do, in everything we say, and everything we are. And so when we relate to our fellow believers, we relate to a body, and we serve one another as the different limbs serve our own body. We're like a family, brothers. We're like fellow servants working together. We're like sustainers holding each other up. And we're like instructors helping each other along the way. We're like contributors because if we have something that another needs, we can share it with them and help them. And above all things, we can pray for them. We are prayers. We pray through for our fellow believers. Yes, we may not find many fellow believers in the world around us, because we have to separate ourselves from the evil that reigns rampant in the world. But as we submit to those in authority and do good and do right, we can show forth the love of God in everything we do and in everything we are. Yes, Paul has a lot to say about the Christian's life here in Romans. And as we've explored the different themes of Romans, we see that Paul isn't just writing a letter for the sake of 
lecturing or laying down the law, but for encouraging one another to serve the Lord and reminding us all of his goodness and his grace. The themes that we have looked at in exploring Romans are major themes in the writings of Paul and their major themes in the whole of the New Testament and their major themes in the whole of the Bible. Because as you trace your way through the whole of Scripture, you find this is exactly how God wants us to live. And one day, we're going to stand before him and rejoice in his presence. Yeah.